Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our reading for today, our Gospel, is the magnificent story of the conversion of St. Matthew. You can find it very easily in your Bible. It's Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 and following. So Matthew 9, 9, you find this great story. I'd urge you during this week, meditate upon it. Take out your scripture, read this brief account, think about it, pray over it. It's about you. It's about everybody. It's about all of us who are called to a new life by Jesus Christ. You know, I might have mentioned this to you before, but if you go to Rome, right near the Piazza Navona, there's a great church, St. Louis the Frenchman. In that church, there is a painting by Caravaggio, the late Renaissance painter. And it's a depiction of this scene, the conversion of St. Matthew. And like all Caravaggio's pictures, it's brilliantly done. Plays of light and darkness, very theatrical and dramatic. What I love in this picture is he depicts Matthew in 16th century finery. He's there in his silk stockings and his jaunty shirt and his hat with the feather in it and the sword at his side. If we were to depict him today in the same manner, we'd put him probably in an Armani suit. He'd have a Rolex watch on. He'd have his Gucci leather shoes. He's someone who has arrived. He's a worldling, someone who's very much involved in the things and goods of this world. In Caravaggio's picture, he's surrounded by stacks of money, piles of coins, all the accoutrement of a tax collector. And this is true to the spirit of Jesus' story. A tax collector in his time would have been someone fairly wealthy, skimming quite a bit off the top of his tax uh, collections. Someone who was immersed in the world. Well, then you look across from Matthew in Caravaggio's picture. And there, very dramatically, is the figure of Jesus. He looks at Matthew, and he stretches out toward him his hand, and he indicates him. It's a great touch, the hand of Jesus is borrowed from the hand of God the Father in Michelangelo's Sistine Ceiling. It's a subtle but important point. When Jesus calls you, when you're summoned by him, that's a kind of creation. That's a recreation of you. He's making you, remaking you from the nothingness of sin into his own image. But then you look back at Matthew, and he's got this incredulous look on his face, like he can't believe what's happening. And he's pointing to himself as though to say, me? You're calling me? So it is now, when we are called by Jesus Christ. We might not believe it. Me? You're calling the likes of me? Someone as sunk in the world and sunk in sin as I am? You're calling me? Yep. We hear now in Paul's letter to Timothy, God wants all people to be saved 
How are we saved? Through Jesus Christ and by his call. Therefore, Jesus, at some point, in some way, is summoning you and summoning me. In fact, that's what life is about. In the midst of all of our accomplishments, in the midst of all of the things that we do, it's Christ's call to us that matters. That's the most important moment in your life. It's captured now in this scene, captured in Caravaggio's picture. Jesus says to him, follow me. And Matthew gets up and follows him. Do you hear that call? Do you see that hand of Jesus pointing to you? That voice saying, come on, get up, follow me. Well, you don't see it and hear it now as directly as Matthew did back in the first century. But you hear it. It might be that nagging sense that there's got to be more in your life. Do you know, even those listening to me right now whose lives are going very well, you're successful, you're surrounded by wealth and by friends and material things the way Matthew was, but yet there is in you this nagging sense that there's more to life. There's something more. There's something else I need to be doing. There's some other good that's calling me. Well, that's Christ's voice. That's the hand of Jesus now indicating you. It might be the voice of your child saying, why don't we go to church? Maybe you've been away from church for years, but one of your kids says, why don't we go? That could be the voice of Jesus ringing now in your ears. That could be the hand of Jesus calling you, pointing to you, summoning you. It could be that delicious longing that you feel in the presence of holy things and holy people. You know what I'm talking about? I've known people that have told me these stories. They're going through life, yeah, fairly happy, fairly together. But then when they're around holy things, they're in holy places, or most powerfully, when they're around holy people, something in them just begins to sing. Something in them is awakened, and they realize, yes, there's more. They realize, yes, there's a dimension to life I've not realized yet. That could be the voice of Jesus. That could be the hand of Jesus calling you, pointing to you. Come, follow me. Here's a lovely detail in Caravaggio's picture. You don't see a great deal of the figure of Jesus. You see his face, and you see that hand indicating. But the rest of his body is largely obscured. It's obscured by the figure of St. Peter. Peter's standing right in front of him, blocking his body. The symbol is powerful. Peter symbolizes the church. How do we see Jesus? How do we hear his call? Through the church. Through the mediation of Peter. Through the mediation of the church. It's in the liturgy. In the sacraments. In preaching. In the scripture. In the sacramentals. In the lives of the saints. In the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. It's in the life of the church. 
that we hear the voice of Jesus and we see that hand and we feel that summons from him. He's calling you. He's calling me. He wants everyone to be saved. Follow me, he says. Notice, please. Not simply believe in what I'm saying. Not simply accept the doctrines I'm preaching. Not simply find me compelling. No. The command is to follow the Lord Jesus. He wants his words to come into your mind, yes, but then pass through your mind into your heart and pass through your heart into your body and your emotions so that you follow him. That means walk behind him. Walk as he walks. Feel as he feels. Think as he thinks. React as he reacts. Follow me, says the Lord. This is not just a cerebral exercise. Not just a matter of doctrinal rectitude. The Christian life is a matter of walking and talking, following. It involves your body. He wants all of you. Then it says, Matthew got up and followed him. It's a lovely detail here now. It's hidden in the language, in the original Greek of this text. He got up. He rose up. Same verb used to describe the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He got up. He arose and followed him. That hand of Caravaggio, borrowed from Michelangelo's Sistine ceiling, signals the fact that the call of Jesus is a recreation. Here, the call of Jesus is a resurrection. It's a rising up to a new form of life. How often we spend our lives, our energies, our powers on lower things. Now, mind you, we're not Puritans. Nothing wrong with the world in itself. But when we focus our lives exclusively on the things of this world, we're living at too low a level. We're meant to rise. We're meant to anchor our lives in the things of God. That's what conversion means. A rising up from where we've been living. Can this happen quickly? Yeah, sometimes. Here's a good example of it. Matthew just gets up, follows the Lord. St. Paul was knocked to the ground, saw the light. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then his life just changed. St. Francis kneeling before the crucifix and hearing that call, Francis, rebuild my church. And then up he gets and he's changed. I've told the story of Brother Bill Tomes, the Chicagoan, whose life at midlife was just changed like that. Yeah, it can happen. It can happen. More often than not, though, you might hear this call over many years. You might sense it over many years. You might feel it through the life of the church, and gradually, that's okay, gradually you rise up to follow the Lord. Then this great detail. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. Here's the scene. Matthew has left behind his former life. Followed Jesus. The first thing they do is they sit down together in a convivial banquet. How like the Lord Jesus, by the way, who loved to gather with people at meals, who loved to gather in celebration. First thing he does is he rejoices and celebrates with 
Matthew. And what does it do? It attracts to them all kinds of other people like Matthew. Tax collector, one of the worst kind of sinners. Everyone hated tax collectors. Well, now he's surrounded by sinners and tax collectors. So it goes. So it goes beautifully in the life of the church. One sinner who's converted can have a magnetic effect on those around him or around her. When your life is changed, that's good for you, yes, but it can also be very good for those around you who are attracted by the very thing that happened to you. Think of your conversion. It's not just about you, but about all those around you who will be magnetized by it, who will be attracted by it. The Pharisees complain, you know, this man is eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors. Well, okay, they represent that puritanical strain in religion. Only the spiritually pure should be around the Lord. But that's just not the way the New Testament thinks. No, Jesus likes sinners. He likes sinners. Not their sin. He likes them. He likes their company. The church is made up of sinners who've been called to conversion. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't be so self-consciously preoccupied with your sin that I could never be around the Lord Jesus. No, he likes this conviviality. Allow yourself to be drawn by his magnetic power. Listen for that call. You might hear it a thousand different ways. Listen for it. Watch for that hand that's indicating you, pointing right at you. And when you hear that voice, come, follow me. Get up now and follow. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.